you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 1. 2 Kings chapter 1. And we're doing the second part of a lesson entitled, I Am is Not Chopped Liver. I Am is Not Chopped Liver. We're wrapping up our study of Elijah by looking at the first three chapters of 2 Kings. And these three chapters are a reminder of what we should have learned through this series. Now, I won't ask you if this is what you remember, but this is what you ought to remember. And so these three chapters are a good review and reminder of where we've been, but they also show us uh, important things to remain loyal in times of apostasy. And so if you look at that chart, you see Second Kings 1, what we're supposed to be learning from this passage is the Lord is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. And you remember last week, the setup is that we're now in the second generation, actually the third generation, because King Omri was the most wicked king in Israel. Then his son Ahab won the biggest sinner contest. And now his son, Omri's grandson, Ahaziah, is out to carry on the family traits of sin and wickedness and apostasy. And the reminder here is, you know, we can look at this and say, well, why aren't these guys getting it? Well, okay, have we gotten what we've been taught, okay? So think of how easy it is for us, okay? So that's the thing about the Old Testament. You go to the Old Testament, you go, are these people dumb? What? Okay, no, we got to look at ourselves in the mirror and realize we do the same things. We live way below what we really know. We live way below what we really know to be true about God. And the big idea of First King, or I mean, I'm so locked into that. Second uh, Kings chapter 1, what did Ahab's son fail to learn about the Lord, just like his father and mother? It's this, I am is not chopped liver. I am is not chopped liver. In other words, dishonoring the Lord, treating him like he's chopped liver, is a matter of life and death in this passage and in our lives. And notice it says the Lord is not to be actively ignored or passively overlooked. That's far easier to do. Doing so is a matter of life and death. But we're going to see today, but when we repent and humbly seek Him, He will let us find Him and grant us life. And in fact, the, the scriptures even say that he will let us find him for if it's not if, if he does not in his grace reveal himself to us, we'll never find him. It always starts with him. Now, I just want to pause for a moment. And we talked about this last week. Why is this passage? Why is a passage like this? First Kings, second uh, Kings one so important at a time like this? And I said, the reason is, this is one of those difficult, hard, wrath passages in the Old Testament. It makes us very uncomfortable, and it causes us to say and do strange things to explain away God calling down fire on 102 men. Now, again, if you've grown up in church, 
Well, of course God does that. He does all sorts of things like that. But we're in an increasingly postmodern, secular society. And when people, if you challenge, hey, let's read Second uh, Kings, and they come across this, there's going to be all sorts of questions. There's going to be all sorts of rejections even. I mean, I, I had an unsafe friend read through the Bible and made it to Genesis 22 where God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac and he quit reading because he said, I can't handle that. I can't handle a God like that. And I tried to explain to him what was really going on there. Uh, so these things are real. So what happens is some pastors, as I said last week, will teach their members to unhitch from the Old Testament. Don't worry about Second Kings 1. When you come into that, just run to the New Testament where Jesus is all love. He's all about love, and we, we're not in this dispensation anymore. We're not in the old covenant anymore. Others just want to blame Elijah for the fire. Well, you know, and I don't know how that answers anything, because I can't bring down, you know, there's people I may want to bring fire down, but I can't do it, you know. So that leads to really the ultimate option. You just reject the Bible. You just say, that's not how God is. You know, miracles like that don't happen. Judgments like that don't happen. Now, what do all these reactions have in common? They have in common, they see the people in the story as being innocent, and they see the treatment as inhumane, and they see God as unloving. Now, when you come to a passage like this, we need to admit, first of all, it is hard, isn't it? Okay, we need to let that sink in. This is hard to understand. It's hard to accept. It's hard to really see. And if you just gleefully run into a passage like this and say, yeah, God pours down fire on, on people, there's some, there's some, that reveals something wrong in our hearts, right? So we need to wrestle, wrestle with this. Now, here's the thing. Why is it so hard to grasp? It's because we limit ourselves to our own understanding and we use ourselves as the ultimate standard of truth. So we read a passage where fire comes down on 102 men who were just following orders and we say, well, if that was me, I, you know, I think that's unfair. I wouldn't do that. You know, I, I might do that to some really bad people. I may do that to the king. But I wouldn't do it to these guys. In other words, if we come to these passages with our own perspective and our own reasoning and our own perception of what people are like, and here's how most people see other people. People are basically good. There's some bad apples, Ahab, Isaiah, Hitler, guys like that. But basically people are good, therefore they wouldn't deserve this kind of treatment. And they come with their own perception of what God is like. Basically, he's like us, just more gooder. Now, I know that's not good English, but that's how we think. That he's like us, he's just only a lot better. He's like a Marvel superhero. He's very, he's human like us, and he has, you know, he's not perfect, but he's just more powerful, more loving, uh, more good than we are. Now, if you try to understand a passage like this from that perspective, you're going, to try, you're going to struggle to make sense of it, and you're going to struggle to make sense of God. And you might choose 
to unhitch. Sadly, I know uh, believers who just don't like reading the Old Testament because of passages. There's just too much violence in it. There's too much of this in it. You might end up rejecting that it even happened. But what's even more dangerous is that if you don't wrestle with these passages and the God that is actually revealed in them, you might become an apostate. And that's what this, that's what this whole First and Second Kings is about. You might choose to walk away from the faith, proving to yourself and to others that you were never a true believer in the first place. Now, why do I say that? Well, we've had these high-profile apostasies that have been in the news. Marty Sampson the famous praise song writer from Hillsong Music, who, listen to this, think about this guy. He spent the last 20 years producing worship music for Hillsong. He has been writing and singing worship songs with various of the Hillsong legends. So this guy for 20 years has been pumping out songs, you know, under the auspice of the glory of God and for the good of God's people. Marty Sampson's own reasons, though, for walking away are these. And you've you got to understand, even when people verbalize why they're doing something, that's not what they verbalize is not always what's going on in their heart. In fact, rarely is the reason we give for sin the real reason. All right? So, I, but here's his words. Time for some, and, and he did this on Instagram. Time for real talk. I am genuinely losing my faith, and it doesn't bother me. Like, what bothers me now is nothing. I'm so happy now, so at peace with the world, it's crazy. And I just, that statement alone is an indication you're not losing your salvation, you're walking away from something you never possessed, if now you're at peace. Time for some real talk. Okay, it's crazy. Okay, this is a soapbox moment, so here I go. How many preachers fall? Many. No one talks about it. How many miracles happen? Not many. No one talks about it. Why is the Bible full of contradictions? No one talks about it. How can God be love and yet send four billion people to a place all cause they don't believe? No one talks about it. Christians can be the most judgmental people on the planet. They can also be some of the most beautiful and loving people. But it's not for me. I am not in anymore. I want genuine truth, not just I just believe it kind of truth. Science keeps piercing the truth of every religion. Lots of things help people change their lives. Not just one version of God. Got so much more to say, but for me, I'm keeping it real. Unfollow if you want. I've never been about living my life for others. And yet, I'm going on social media to tell you all what I'm doing with my life. All I know is what's true for me right now, and Christianity just seems to me like another religion at this point. I could go on, but I won't. Love and forgive, absolutely. Be kind, absolutely. Be generous and do good to others, absolutely. A lot of absolutes for no God that exists. Some things are good no matter what you believe. Let the rain fall. The sun, sun will come up tomorrow. Now, I read that with a, with a heavy heart 
But based on his own words, which he has since taken down, and he said, well, my faith is on shaky ground. Well, I would say, yes, it is. But I would say, based on his own words, here's a man who's influenced so much Christian music and the music that is sung in so many good Bible-believing churches. Okay, this is Hillsong, right? Apparently operated from a very man-centered and me-centered view of God the Bible, and the broken world around us. And here's the thing. I don't want to fall away from the true God because I've I've been worshiping a no-God instead of the real God. Are you with me? Made in my image. And I don't want that to happen to you either. What I'm saying to you is when you read what this guy is saying, first of all, everybody's talking about all those things he said they're not talking about. We teach on it regularly. Other Bible-believing churches teach on it. They have been questions that have been raised forever, and they are dealt with scripturally, and they are talked about. So I'm just saying, I don't know what church he was going to, but he needed to go to a different church. So these things are talked about. But what I'm saying is, I think, and because of some of the doctrinal aberrations around Hillsong's even doctrine, yeah, I think, you, I think you've been sold a bill of goods for a prosperity gospel and a prosperity God that everything's going to be good, and it isn't good. And when you think God is that way and then life shows you different, you either you walk away from God, but actually you're walking away from a no God. It's an idol. It's like Baal and Ekron, as we see in this story. It's a no-God. That's not the true God. And so in this lesson, in this chapter, we've been looking at four attributes of the true God. And I truly believe these four attributes explain why fire comes down from heaven on these 102 men who are not innocent. They are guilty, deserving of the wrath, that should have even come earlier, but God's mercy delayed it. And we see a God who's merciful, and He even in judgment, He's revealing, I want to show mercy, but I am God and you are not. Okay? So this is why I'm taking time with this, and this way I'm teaching it the way I'm teaching it, is I really want you to see, it's in a sense, it's a defense of the true God. Because that's what he's really doing. He's, this is a time of apostasy and false gods. And the true God is breaking through with fire to say, look, those are no gods. I'm the true God and here's how I really am. And I love you enough. Even the apostate, even Marty Sampson, even Joshua Harris, I love you enough to show you who I am fully and completely. So that's why this is important, and these are the four reasons that we're looking at. Four reasons I am is not chopped liver to be overlooked. And I'm not going to reteach all of this, the first two attributes we got to, and here's the first one. I am is a jealous God who despises lifeless idols. So the first thing we learned was in verses 1 through 8. So let's read that. 2 Kings 1, 1 through 8. Now, Moab Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. And Ahaziah, his son, 
who ruled in his place, fell through the lattice in his upper chamber, which was in Samaria, and became ill. So he sent his messengers and said to him, Go inquire. And we said inquire is that key word. Seek is that key word. And it's what we as true believers, we're supposed to seek the true God. But instead, as the king of Israel, Ahaziah says, Go inquire, seek of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. In other words, he's the guy in charge of life and death. Find out if I'm going to die or not. But the I am God is a jealous God, and he despises our lifeless idols. So, verse 3, But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you're going to inquire, there's our key word, seek of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron. Basically, what am I? Chopped liver. Why are you ignoring me? Why are you overlooking me? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, because I'm a jealous God who defends my sovereign glory, you shall not come down from the bed where you have gone up but you shall surely die. Then Elijah departed. And when the messengers returned to him, King Ahaziah, he said to them, Why have you returned? How would you get back so quickly? You should have been gone longer if you went to Ekron. They said to him, A man came up to meet us and said to us, Go, return to the king who sent you and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron. Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed where you have gone up, but you shall surely die. And he said to them, What kind of man was this who came up to meet you and spoke these words to you? And they answered him, He was a hairy man with a leather girdle bound around his loins. And he said, King Ahaziah, son of Ahab, grandson of Omri, he knows... It is Elijah the Tishbite. This is God's man. This is the true God's representative. And so then he sends his soldiers to basically arrest and kill him. So here's the the idea that we talked about. Who does the king go to? He goes to Baalzebub, which means Lord of the Flies, which might refer to Baalzebul, which means Baal is Lord. We said one change of a letter. The point, though, is the king seeks an outcome of life or death from a no God among a no people in a no land. He rejects the true God, the God of Israel, the God of the promised land. So here's the point. Those who are loyal to the Lord and His covenant seek Him before all others by forsaking All others, like we promised to do in a marriage covenant. So this idea of seeking the Lord is when you get saved and enter into a covenant relationship, a saving covenant relationship with the Lord, it's like getting married. You're saying, you're my God and there is no other. And the beautiful thing is God's saying to us, I am your God and you are my people. 
Okay, so it's like a marriage covenant, which then explains this idea of jealousy. So it's jealousy, not being sinful and selfish. It's jealousy of, hey, I've committed myself to you and you have committed yourself to me. Let no other God or person come between us. And so how does the Lord, and we see this in 1 Chronicles 28.9. Let me read this again because this kind of, kind of covers the whole idea. As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart, whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all the hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, same word, same idea, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, He will reject you forever. Seeking, faithfully, loyally, forsaking, disloyal, unbelief. How does the Lord respond? The Lord decrees His death. You're going to die. Because because seeking, treating me like chopped liver is a matter of life and death. You don't get to do this without consequences. Make sense? Now, why does the Lord decree that the king must die? Well, three times, as we saw last week, three times he says, is it because there is no God in Israel that you're going to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? In other words, I am is not chopped liver. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. And we read these passages. We won't read them again. But in Exodus, in Deuteronomy, God says, look, this is my name. I am a jealous God. And we answered the question, is God sinning by being jealous for his own glory and the good of his people? And we said, no. It's the difference between a bad husband who is jealous with sinful envy and a good husband who is zealous... For him and his wife to remain loyal to them and no other. So think of your wedding vows. Till death do us part. I commit to you forsaking all others. And this is what our salvation is like. Okay, This is is the covenant that, that God has made with us through Jesus Christ. That we are his people and he is us. He and, and, and he, we, he is our God. Now, so God's not being sinful when he's doing this. So the first thought you want here is this. The first reason I am is not chopped liver to be ignored or overlooked or rejected is because he's a jealous God for his own glory, which he alone deserves. So he's not being wrong in doing that. And he does this for the good of all people. Because he knows no other God, no other thing, no other person will satisfy like him. So at the same time, he's jealous for his glory, not in a selfish way, but true to reality. And a gracious way, because he's saying, by showing you my glory, I'm showing you what you need most. Okay? Secondly, we saw that he is not just a jealous God. But he is a just God who defends his sovereign glory. Number two, I am is a just God who defends his sovereign glory. And so here's where we come in to the fire falling from heaven. Here's the hard passage that we come to. And we went through this last week. Now, 
Why is fire falling from heaven? Why is that a just act? And we said, first of all, we need to be clear about who's responsible for the fire. It's God, not Elijah. Who is responsible for the fire? Has God, Elijah didn't have a bad hair day. Elijah didn't get on, up on the wrong side of the bed and decide, I'm going to torch some people this morning. Listen, now, a lot of people think God's that way. They think God is like, he's capricious. He's, you know, we can, you can't trust him. You can't, you can't, you know, he's inconsistent. He has mood swings like we do. But the reality is, God did this out of his character of justice to defend his glory. Elijah was not responsible for this. God was, okay? And, well, let's go on. Number two, who is to blame? For the fire from heaven. Who is to blame? Are these men innocent? Is God guilty of judging innocent people? Or basically good people? And we went through the reasons why no. King Ahaziah, as soon as they described who Elijah, what he looked like, he knew. That's Elijah the Tishbite. You know what that means? That means he knows everything that we've studied. He knows how God revealed himself to his mom and dad, Jezebel and Ahab. He knows how fire came down. And by the way, in this story, Elijah is sitting on a mountain, and many uh, students of the scriptures believe it's Mount Carmel. So very likely, they are going to him on the very mountain that is still scorched with the fire of God from before. So, Ahaziah knows exactly who God is, and he's rejecting that. He's going to war against that. The first captain and his 50 are guilty because they had to climb up. Let's say it is Mount Carmel. They had to climb up Mount Carmel. They see the, the devastation. They know who the true God is. And then the second group of captains are even more guilty. Why? Because they know what happened to the first group. So, these aren't innocent men. And we went through the reasons for that. But what's the purpose of the fire? What was the purpose? We said, what was the purpose? And we gave you four reasons. I have them listed there. It proves who the true God is. It punishes rebels who re refuse to repent. It protects his messenger. But we said last week, it proclaims the severity of judgment and the mercy of deliverance. And that's where I want you to see that the jealous, the Lord is a jealous God who is just and merciful, and he loves to dispense mercy in the midst of judgment. So here's the third attribute. Let's look at it. third attribute. I am is a merciful God who delights to show mercy in the midst of judgment. You see, this passage that has all this fire and everybody saying, oh, he's so hateful, he's so mean. No, that fire is all, it, it indeed shows his just, justice and severity, but it shows his kindness and his mercy in the same event. Okay, And that's what I want you to see today. So we've seen that... We don't treat him as chopped liver because he's a jealous God who despises false idols. He's a just God who defends his sovereign glory. Fire comes down. But 
Let's look at verses 13 through 15 and see what happens when the third group of uh, 50 with their captain arrived. Verse 13. So he again sent cap- a, the captain of a third 50 with his 50. So first of all, do you see the hardness of Ahaziah's heart? I'm just going to keep doing this. I'm just going to keep going into the, gr- the, the, the grinder. I'm just going to I'm just going to I'm just going to flaunt my authority in the face of an almighty God. I'm just going to keep doing this until I apparently I run out of soldiers. So he again sent the captain of the third 50 with his 50, and when the third captain of the 50 went up, just like the other ones, he came and bowed down. Boop 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 boop. Do you see the big difference? He went up to bow down. And that's why we come to worship. We go up to the Lord in order that we may bow down before the one true God. So he bows down on his knees before Elijah and begged him and said to him, Oh, man of God. That's what the other one said. But he's not saying it with sarcasm. He's not saying it with insincerity. He is saying it with a fear of the one true God. Oh, man of God, please let my life and the lives of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Do you see the radical difference from last week? And notice that he says, please let my the lives of these 50 servants of yours. So notice, isn't he supposed to be following orders? Don't we always have to follow orders? No, we can break ranks to affirm what is true. He is breaking ranks. He's saying, I don't care about my king because you're the king of kings. I don't care about serving him because it's evident we all are your servants. And then he says this key word, behold, behold. That's an indication that he knows the fire is not from Elijah. The fire is not human. The fire is not some uh, natural lightning bolt. The fire comes from God. Fire came down from heaven and consumed the first two captains of 50 with their 50s. So see, he knows what they knew. But now let my life be precious in your sight. Repeats that twice. In other words, I deserve to die like they and I will die like they unless you grant me mercy. You see, I am is a merciful God who delights to show mercy in the midst of judgment. Why is this third captain and his men show mercy? Let me give you three reasons. We highlighted it. You saw it in your Bible. Here they are. First of all, he's got a different posture. He's got a different posture. He goes up to do what? To bow down. Different posture. Okay. Posture is important in worship. Bible doesn't tell you what posture you have to have, but understand this. When your heart is yielded, so your whole life is, and it will affect your posture. Number two, a different petition. This man begs before Elijah for their lives. Now, notice three things that are different about his petition. He begs instead of orders. Remember the first two guys? Come down. Second guy, come down quickly. Do you hear me? This guy's like, I'm not ordering you to do anything. I am begging. 
I have no power, no authority, no right. He speaks for himself and on, and on behalf of his men instead of speaking for the king and simply following orders. You see, we don't have to follow orders in this world when, our, when the orders go contrary to the one true God. He's like, hey, what's important here is you are the God, not Baal and Ekron. You are the God of death and life, and right now I want to live. Third thing that's different about his petition, he asks for their lives to be spared, unlike the first 102 men who were fried by the fire. So different posture, different petition. Third thing that's different, he's come for a different purpose. He's come for a different purpose. The captain addresses Elijah as a true man of God and pleads for mercy. Now, let me show you four things that that makes his purpose different. First of all, he knows who Elijah truly is. He's truly treating Elijah as a man of God. The other guys used those words, but didn't treat Elijah in that manner. He knows who Elijah truly is and is acting accordingly. He knows who... They truly are. He says, we are your servants, meaning your God who you represent. Ultimately, we don't owe Ahaziah nothing. He, he's not our creator. He is not God of the universe. He's not the king of kings. We're your servants. He knows what they truly deserve. Twice he says, may our lives be precious in your sight. Because you have control. You are going to determine. And it's not just Elijah. It's, oh, man of God. Your God is going to determine that. And then, fourthly, he knows who is truly in charge. Because he says, behold, that fire came from heaven. So he's come with a different posture. He's come with a different petition. And he's come for a different purpose. And here's what he realizes. Here's the point. The Lord is a jealous God who is both just and merciful. He deflates the proud who refuse to repent, and He delights to deliver the humble who do repent. He desires to show mercy in the midst of judgment. So, notice, let's keep reading. 14 and 15. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the first 50 But now let my life be precious in your sight. Now look at verse 15. The person who now speaks is not Elijah because it's not his decision. He's the man of God. God speaks. So these guys are, you know, they're in the right position. They're talking to God through his messenger. And God answers. Notice the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, now go down with him. Do not be afraid. So he arose and went down with him to the king. Now, what that all implies is their lives were considered precious. They were shown mercy and they went with him and they lived because they humbled themselves before this just and merciful God. Now, here's what you want to see in this passage. The angel of the Lord has spoken twice now. The first time he speaks, it is a message of deserved judgment and death. Ahaziah is going to die. The second time, 
It's a message of undeserved mercy and life. Isn't that cool? So the angel of the Lord is revealing this just God of judgment and mercy. And he speaks his word and what his word says will happen. So that brings us then to the fourth attribute of God. That brings us to the fourth attribute, and it's this. I am should not be treated as chopped liver because I am is a trustworthy God who delivers on his sure promises. He is a trustworthy God who delivers on his sure promises. And we see this in verses 16 through 18. So let's look at verses uh, uh 16 through 18. Immediately, Elijah is in the presence of King Ahaziah. They've made it there. Verse 16, then he said to him, Thus says the Lord, again, these are word wars, because you have sent messengers to inquire, here's the third time, of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, Is it because there is no God in Israel to inquire of his word? That's the new addition to this three three times repeated. Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed where you have gone up, but shall surely die. So, verse 17, Ahaziah died according to... To the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken. You see, he's a trustworthy God. And because he had no son, Jehoram, I'll have to practice that. We'll meet him again. Became king in his place in the second year of another J-guy, king of Judah. So you got two guys with the same names, both hard to pronounce. King of Israel, king of Judah. Now, the rest of the acts of Ahaziah, which he did, he only reigned two years, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So here's the point. God's trustworthy. The Lord is a trustworthy God. He delivers on His word for judgment and salvation. See, that's that's the point of this passage. He's a trustworthy God. Now, He's a jealous God. If you rob him of his glory, if you reject him, there will be fiery condemnation. What we understand as eternal hell, lake of fire. If you humble yourself and show him the glory that only he deserves, which is for your good, you will be shown mercy. Isn't that beautiful? But here's the thing. He has spoken And his word will be, he is trustworthy. If he says you're going to be judged, you will be judged. If he says you're going to be saved, you will be saved. You can count on it because he's a trustworthy God according to his word. Now, there's one, well, let me read 1 Kings 8.56. I think I put this in your notes. Remember, 1 and 2 Kings is one book. Way back in 1 Kings 8.56... King Solomon, in his glory, at his height, said this, Blessed be the Lord, who has given rest to his people Israel, according to all that he promised. 
Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he promised through Moses, his servant. And that's true of you today. Not one good word of this book has fallen for judgment and for salvation. Now, I do want to throw out here at the, at the very end, because of this controversy, Old Testament God bad, New Testament God Jesus loving. What about Jesus rebuking James and John for wanting to call down fire on the Samaritans in Luke 9? Are you familiar with that passage? I'll let you read it. You know, uh, Jesus and his disciples were passing uh, from the north, from Galilee, and they were going to Jerusalem. And as you know, Samaria, which is ironic, the Samaritans are northern Israel. And so there was, you know, they were seen as compromisers and the Jerusalem people were seen as, you know, uh, prejudice. And so anyway, you couldn't go through there. So they wouldn't let Jesus and his disciples go through. So James and John respond and say, well, we read that passage about Elijah. Lord, do you want us to call down fire on these guys? You know, these guys were known as the sons of thunder, right? They were the people whose personality were prone to... You know, three strikes. You may not even get three strikes. You're just out. Fire coming out, right? And the Lord, it says in Luke 9, really powerfully, passionately rebuked them and said no. So the idea becomes, if you don't know how to study the Bible, if you don't understand the Bible in context, you're going to say, well, see, the Old Testament God did that in the Old, but Jesus, he's loving, and he didn't let that happen. The only problem is, as is often the case, people have not looked at each passage in context. They're apples and oranges. So I've given you the six reasons why this is different. Okay? And the the first reason, or the second reason, there, there is a textual thing, but it doesn't impact the real meaning of the text. The second reason is the Samaritans... We're rejecting their destination. You can't come through this way. They weren't rejecting Jesus' lordship. Okay, they were just saying, hey, you're Jews. We don't want you coming this way. You don't like us. We don't like you. Go away. Well, that's not what King Ahaziah was doing. Oh, man of God. You know, they weren't saying, Jesus, you are the son of David. You are the one true God. We don't want you. So, first of all, the rejection's not the same. Third, let's say they were even directly rejecting Jesus. Well, Luke 9, 5 tells us that when Jesus sent his uh, disciples out and said, go out and share the good news, the kingdom is near, if they reject you, call down fire on them. No, what did he say? Shake the dust off your sandals. So the point is there is a... A, a change in dispensations. There is a change because the Messiah has come, but he's come instead of one time to just torch the wicked and save the righteous. It's two comings. And the first coming is a shoe-shaking coming. The second coming will be a fire coming. Okay? And these guys didn't understand that. Four, Christ's first coming is a time of undeserved salvation and not deserve judgment. Fifth, he said no to these guys because it's not for the disciples or any prophet to determine who lives and dies. 
Hey, you want us to do this? Because we think now's the time to do this. Well, you are not the one who gets to do this. And Elijah is not the one who did it. God did it. Do you see the difference? And then six, Jesus and his apostles are very clear in the New Testament that there is a day of fiery judgment and it will come at the second coming. So you see what's happening? So I'm just throwing that out there to say, this is a simplistic reading will say Jesus is all love. Well, no, he's Yahweh. So he's a jealous God of justice and wrath and mercy. But what we need to focus on is the question, is there not a God in Kansas City this morning? Is there not a God in Kansas City this morning? And my point is this. After studying all this, and it's important to study it, because if you don't, you misunderstand it, and you might become an apostate of a no God. But here's the point. Are you treating this beautiful, wonderful, glorious God of justice and jealousy and mercy and trustworthiness? Are you treating him like chopped liver? Well, I would never aggressively do that. But did you treat him this past week like chopped liver? Were you in his word? Did you live in dependence on Him? Did you have a conversation with Him daily in prayer? As you went through your day, did you say, Lord, You are the true God. What should I do in this situation? You see, we can treat God as chopped liver by simply not seeking Him. We can treat Him by chop, like chopped liver by seeking a substitute. When you had a hard time this week, did you run to people first or did you run to God? And we can treat him like chopped liver by seeking him hypocritically with our mouths coming here, filling our notes out, singing the praise songs about how great he is, and then not singing his praises and living for his praise during the week. So you see those three ways? We can neglect seeking him. We can seek substitutes instead of him. And third, we can seek him hypocritically with our lips, and yet our hearts are far from him. Now, I'm telling you what, this is, power, this is powerful stuff. And all of us need to go up and do what? Bow down. And give praise that we do have Jesus who stands in our stead. Amen? And we stand. So we don't earn this. We, we say we don't deserve it, but we have received it by grace through faith. And we're going to glory in it. And we're going to live for it. And we're going to keep our, our marriage vows to the Lord. Amen? All right. Good stuff. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your grace, your goodness. Thank you that you are a God, that you're, you're not a no God. You're the real God. You're not the God that... I would like, you're the God that I need. You're not the God that people mistake and ridicule and mock. You're the God that deserves all the glory, all the power. The kingdom is yours. 
And we are your servants. And Lord, we thank you that Jesus has come and lived that perfect life. He lived with perfect loyalty. He did all that we must do but cannot do. He did it in our place. And Lord, you let us find you and place our faith in you. We have given you our sins, our disloyalty, our neglect. And in return, we get the loyalty and the obedience and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Oh, my Lord. What a God you are. May we go out this week and live, seek you, because we have found you. You have let us find you. May we seek you, because you can be found. May we ask, because you will answer. May we knock, because you will open the door. Lord, let us not live like apostates. And God, by your grace, let us not be apostates who walk away from a God of our own imagination. We thank you for Jesus, and it's his name. All God's people say, amen, amen.